It's good to see you all tonight and uh, good to be back last week. I don't know how many of y'all know that I do this, but once a year I take a week out of the office and go plan my sermon schedule for the next. I don't write all the sermons for next year, but I know what I'm going to be preaching on for the next uh, next 52 weeks. And that's always a, a long week, but it's an exciting week. I enjoy that. Now, of course, this time last year when I was doing that, I had no idea what 2020 was going to hold. I may have preached some different things, but uh, it was good. At the end of the week, I went to uh, my hometown and got to see my my mom and dad, of course, and then my, I have one brother, and he's got two very athletic children, so I try to go see them in their sports when I can. And I uh, saw my nephew play football, junior high football, and my niece play volleyball. And I was good luck. Uh, she lost, and that was the end of her season. So, um, so basketball starts now for her. But... Uh, oh, and uh, one more sports-related matter that my son is running in the state track meet for private schools on Monday. So state cross-country meet, I should say. So we'll be in Waco on Monday. So uh, I'm sure that'll be fun. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tonight. 1 Corinthians 12. There's an old story about uh, a farmer who was out plowing one day and looked up into the sky and saw these two strange-looking clouds one of them looked like a P, and the other one looked like a C. And he immediately unhitched his donkeys and, and, and came in and told his wife, I've just been called to preach. The Lord put uh, the, the initials, preach Christ, up in the sky. And so the very next Sunday, he gathered uh, with his brethren. This church didn't happen to have a pastor at that time. He said, folks, I, I've been called by the Lord to preach. And he told them the story. And they said, well, are you ready to preach today? And, they said, and he said, absolutely. And so he opened the Word of God and began to speak. And after he was done, uh, the whole congregation said, would you just excuse us for a moment? We need to talk this over for just a moment. And after they had talked it over, they said, brother, we think that God was telling you to plant corn. <laughs> so... I didn't make that one up in case you don't like it, but uh, when I was first getting into the ministry and really getting into the Word of God, I became very fascinated with the idea of spiritual gifts, that God blesses every believer with some supernatural ability. And in my mind, if, if you had a church where everybody knew their gift and used their gift, then that would just be... Uh, like the, the spiritual equivalent of the bionic man. They, they, a church that could do no wrong, a church that would just uh, knock down spiritual uh, strongholds and, and change the world. And I was just fascinated with this idea. And over time, I, I came to learn, while the, the spiritual gifting is an exciting idea, there's two dangers of it. If you focus on it too much, a church that's full of people who are focused on their spiritual gifts can become one that's where, where it's sort of like the highway department. That's not my job, right? Oh, we need someone to work with the kids. Well, that's not my job. I don't have the spiritual gift of working with children. Well, we need somebody to feed the homeless. Well, that's not my job. You know, I'm, I'm called to, to teach adults or I'm called to, uh, to exercise faith. I'm not called to do that. The other danger of this fascination with spiritual gifts is pride. And that's something, both of those can divide a church, but that second one is what I believe was going on in the church in Corinth. 
So in chapter 12, it begins with these words in in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So Paul is writing to this the Corinthian church, knowing that a lot of them were coming out of a pagan environment. Obviously, some were Jews, but many, if not most, were Gentiles, and they were coming out of this environment of paganism. One of the things, it's hard for us to even understand how different pagan worship was than any kind of religious system we have today. One of the things about paganism was they valued what what scholars call ecstatic utterances. Now, the plain plain English version of that is, if someone had a seizure... The assumption back then in those pre-modern times was, well, you were touched by a god, and that's why you had this seizure. If you talked in your sleep or if you mumbled incoherently, they'd say, oh, this some deity or some spirit is trying to speak through you. One of the most famous oracles in the world was the Oracle of Delphi. You may have heard of her when you were in high school. Uh, The Oracle at Delphi was a young woman who would, in this specific temple in Delphi, she would chew laurel leaves and then sit over a crack that spewed these noxious fumes that basically put her into an inebriated state, and she would mumble incoherently before she passed out. And there were priests on hand to interpret her mumblings and say, okay, this is what the oracle has said to you, and this is what it means for you. And there were actual kings and and great men who would come miles and miles to, to solicit the oracle at Delphi and get her advice on what to do, what to say. So... Imagine if you come from that part of the world, that environment, and you come into a church where there are certain people who say, God has gifted me with the ability to speak in languages I did not learn. To speak in tongues is what we would call it. If you come from an environment of paganism, you might say, well, obviously God has touched you in a way that is special, that makes you more spiritual than me and, from, and than other Christians. And I think that's part of what was going on in the Corinthian church. Paul's whole point in these first three verses is, don't be impressed just because someone displays signs of a particular spiritual power, because the, the thing to judge is not, is it spectacular? The thing to judge is, is it glorifying to him? So let me look through the, let's look at those first two verses again, first three verses. When he, start, when he says, now regarding or now concerning, that means he's addressing something that the Corinthians wrote him about. Remember, when you walk through Corinthians, the Corinthian letters, sometimes he's talking, he's addressing issues that they wrote him about, now concerning food sacrificed to idols, for instance. Other times, he's bringing up things that, that are on his own agenda. They didn't write him about, like, the unity of the church and how you've got so many factions. Well, this is one of the one of the items that they wrote him about. Apparently, someone in Corinth said, "We need a ruling from Paul, our founding elder, the guy who planted our church. What does it mean when some people can speak in tongues and some can't? What does it mean when some people seem more spiritual than others?" And in fact, when he says, "Now concerning spiritual gifts," most English Bibles translate it that way. But if you dig a little deeper, you find out the word translated "gifts" could mean people. And so there's a discrepancy. Is he, are they saying uh, people who are especially spiritual, or are they talking about spiritual gifts? Either way, uh, what Paul is saying is the issue of whether some people are more spiritual than others is a big problem in Corinth. 
And it's going to be something he's going to talk about for the next three chapters, all the way through chapter 14. Now, verse 3 is a little confusing when he says, no one speaking in the Spirit of God can say Jesus is accursed. You might say to yourself, well, why would anybody say that? There's two possibilities for what he's talking about. One possibility is, in the ancient world, in the pagan world, it was common to curse others in the name of your God. So, you know, by the name of Zeus, I curse you. You know, may your wife have runners up her hose or something like that, you know. Uh, And so... Maybe they brought that practice into their Christian faith, and when they were angry with someone, they'd say, in the name of Jesus, be cursed. And Paul's saying, you can't do that. If you're doing that, you're not led by the Spirit of God. The other possibility is he's simply saying, if you're someone who has never come to know Jesus, you can tell it by how you talk about it. Of course, you're not going to say he's Lord. And obviously, obviously, anybody can mouth the words, Jesus is Lord. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you're giving a true confession of the faith, that's because the Holy Spirit is in you. No one can truly call Christ Lord of his life unless the Holy Spirit is in them. That's because the Holy Spirit is the one who converts us. The Holy Spirit is the one who changes us and makes us born again. So his whole point in the first three verses is, listen, right off the start, Anybody who says Jesus is the Lord and means it is just as spiritual as the most gifted preacher, uh, the person who speaks in tongues, or the person who plants churches, the person who writes books of the Bible. There are not special classes of believers more spiritual than others. Anybody who says Jesus is Lord has the Holy Spirit. So with that introduction, then he gets into the the gifts. Verse 4, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by that same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each individually as He wills. Now, I spoke earlier of a time in my life when I was fascinated with spiritual gifts. At the time, I was a seminary student. I was a part-time youth minister. I took it upon myself to study this topic uh, and, and I was obsessed with this idea, okay, what is the gift of faith? What is the gift of prophecy? What is the gift of wisdom, the gift of knowledge? And I, my pastor was nice enough to let me design and teach a Bible study about spiritual gifts at our church. There was a small group of, of dutiful, sweet, older Christians who came and let this 24-year-old kid teach them about spiritual gifts. And I don't think, I don't know that anything I said then was wrong, but I think I missed the point. We'll talk about what the different gifts are that Paul lists here. But notice how often in this passage he uses the word same. Notice how often he says, these things are all given by the same Spirit. The manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Faith by the same Spirit. Another gifts of healing by that same Spirit. What is he saying? He's saying, whatever your gift, whatever you do to serve the Lord, you're empowered by the same Holy Spirit. And I think that's something that we still can't get through our heads, 
especially today when we like to make celebrities out of people who are especially gifted. You hear somebody preach, and the words flow out of them like nothing you've ever heard before. And the things they say reach into your heart and speak to you and make the Word of God come alive like never before. And you just naturally assume that person is closer to God than you are. Or someone gets up and sings and they're incredibly gifted. Their, their, their voice is just so pitch perfect and you can tell from the emotion in their voice and in their face they really mean what they're saying and you say to yourself, that person knows Jesus in a way I can only dream of. Or someone, uh, someone gives generously, generously enough that lives are changed and you think, oh goodness, they are really close to Jesus. And hopefully that's the case. But they're not necessarily any closer to Jesus than you are. Just because God hasn't gifted you to preach or to sing or to donate enough money to build a new building doesn't mean you're any less close to God. You have the same Holy Spirit. And because you have the same Holy Spirit, guess what? Your prayers are just as powerful as that pastor, as that singer, as that uh, uh, what's the name? Philanthropist. Your prayers are just as powerful. You are just as able to understand the Word of God. You're just as able to hear the guidance of the Lord and know His will. Don't get me wrong. There are offices and, and, and callings in the congregation of, of believers. And Paul talks about this later. We'll get into that. There are offices that God has set up to lead the church, to serve the church, and, and we do well to thank God for those people. I know I'm talking about myself. Uh, we do well to thank God for those people and support them and, and, and encourage them and respect them, but they are not super Christians. And there's going to be big surprises on Judgment Day. I'm going off on a tangent here. But when Jesus said over and over again, the first will be last and the last will be first, I think there's a lot of preachers who we've looked up to, who by God's grace will stand before Jesus and know they're redeemed, and then along will come a, a sweet little woman who no one even knows the name of. And Jesus will say, come up here, well done, good and faithful servant. And that preacher is going to say, well, what about me? Look at all that I did. But God knows. God knows who really served Him faithfully. So, all that said, what are the spiritual gifts? Well, the, the name spiritual indicates they aren't the same thing as talents. They aren't the same thing as abilities or skills. An ability is something, an ability or a talent is something you're born with. You can throw a curveball. You, uh, you can fix things. You, you're just, you've got a mechanical mindset or uh, you are very, very articulate. That's, a, that's a, a, a talent. There are skills. There are things you learn how to do. You learn how to program a computer or you learn, um, you learn how to teach a particular uh, subject to kids or adults. Those are skills. Those aren't the same as spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts come from the Holy Spirit. They're not necessarily something you learn. Can they be accentuated? Can they be improved through training, through practice, through work? Absolutely, but they don't come from those things. They come from the Lord. And the difference is, the difference is they are specifically designed for the common good. 
So there's three things about spiritual gifts. They come from the Holy Spirit, not from our innate birth or our training. They are given to every believer. Every single believer in Jesus has some mix of gifts. And they are for the common good. What does that mean? That means that if you or I are using our gift, we'll know it because it blesses others. There are a lot of people I've met down through the years who claim to have a gift, but they're not helping anyone. They just like to say it. I remember when I was younger, I knew a young man who claimed to have the gift of prophecy. And I, I believed him when he told me that. He would tell me often, I have the gift of prophecy. And, and then the more I was around him, the more I realized, no, you just like sharing your opinions. He called it the gift of prophecy because it made people mad. And he thought, well, you know, Elijah made people mad. I guess I'm a prophet. No, you're just a guy who mouths off. Because no one's blessed by you. No one is drawn closer to God. No one is corrected. You're just, you just like to share your opinions. So be careful. A spiritual gift is for the common good. So, Paul lists certain spiritual gifts in this passage. This is one of three different places in his letters where Paul gives a list like this. One is later on in the same chapter, chapter 12, 27 through 30, Romans 12, 3 through 8. Peter also lists them in, in 1 Peter. And one of the things you notice when you read those lists is that they're listing different gifts in all four lists. In other words, Paul right here doesn't give us an exhaustive list of all the spiritual gifts because he mentions some later on in this chapter he didn't mention here. And when he's talking about them in Romans 12, he mentions some he didn't mention in Corinthians at all. So that tells me two things. Number one, it tells me there are probably more spiritual gifts than we know about. Probably some that aren't mentioned in Scripture. I mentioned music a little earlier. There's no spiritual gift of music mentioned in the Word of God, and yet I'm convinced there are people who minister through their music, either playing an instrument or singing, and that's a spiritual gift. It's, it, you, know, you can have a beautiful voice or a musical talent, and it doesn't minister to people, but if you have the spiritual gift, it will. So that's one thing. I believe there are spiritual gifts that aren't in the Scriptures, more spiritual gifts than we know of. And secondly, I think what Paul's doing here is he's mentioning specific spiritual gifts that he saw in the Corinthian church. Because he's saying, some of you have this one. It came from the same Holy Spirit as the person who has that one. So let's just go through this list that Paul gives us in this passage. Not the whole list in the Bible, but just this list in 1 Corinthians 12. First of all, he mentions wisdom, the word of wisdom. Now, just here's my disclaimer. God did not put a glossary in the Bible. So the definitions I'm going to give you are quite frankly my best guess based on how those words are used elsewhere in Scripture. For instance, wherever you see wisdom, look at the book of Proverbs, for instance. What is wisdom in the book of Proverbs? Wisdom is the ability to make good decisions. It's the ability to choose the right path. Like Solomon, knowing what to do when those two women brought the baby and said, both said, this is my child. He knew what to do. He knew how to make a decision. Wisdom is the ability to choose the right path. So with that being known, someone who has the spiritual gift of the word of wisdom is someone who's able to help people make decisions. They're the kind of person I, would be, I believe they're the kind of person that you just naturally go to when you're struggling with a decision. You say, what, do I, what should I do here? 
and they're able to talk you through it. They may not always know the answer, but they, they always seem to help you choose the right direction. Do you know anybody like that? Do you have anybody like that in your life? Those are valuable people to have. And in a church, especially valuable. Those are the kind of people I believe that in a meeting, whether it's a deacon's meeting or a committee meeting or a business meeting, when they don't speak often, but when they speak, everyone stops because they think something good is about to be said, something we need to hear. This person never wastes his or her words. He mentions a gift of knowledge. And by the way, we can all grow and we're all called to pursue wisdom. And that's true of all these gifts. These are all good things. There are some who are just gifted in special ways in them. And with knowledge, we're all supposed to be seeking greater knowledge of the Word of God. No one should ever say, I don't think I have the gift of knowledge. I'm just not going to study the Scriptures. That would be foolishness. But some people, I believe this is what this is about, are able to pick up on spiritual truth faster. And maybe even this indicates people who are able to teach I know there's a spiritual gift of teaching that's mentioned in another passage. Maybe this is similar. Maybe it's the same. The gift of knowledge, I believe, is the ability to know spiritual truth and help others come to know spiritual truth. The truth about God's Word. And then faith. We all know from Scripture what faith is. Faith is trusting in God. But remember, faith is not just trusting Him in your mind. It's trusting Him with your life. The, the analogy I heard that made a lot of sense to me when I was first growing in Christ is there's one kind of belief that says, okay, I can watch a tightrope walker walk across that tightrope and say, I'll bet you five bucks he makes it. And that's one kind of faith. But real faith is the kind that says, I'm going to get on his shoulders and let him carry me across that tightrope. And that's the kind of faith we're talking about in Scripture. When Jesus said, believe in me, that's the kind of faith he was talking about. He wasn't meaning intellectually. He meant, give me your life. So a person with the spiritual gift of faith would have to be someone who had exceptional faith. The kind of person who, when huge obstacles came, they wouldn't fear. Or when there was a big challenge that God had placed before the people and everyone else was tempted to say, no, we can't do that, they would be the one that say, yes, we can, let's do it. I think of Joshua and Caleb in the story of the Israelites at Kadesh Barnea. Remember, Israelites had been wandering for all those years and they finally make it to the verge of the promised land and they choose the 12 spies to go into the land and spy things out and they come back and the, the land is beautiful and it surely is a, a land of milk and honey. But 10 of the 12 spies say, yeah, but those people are huge. They'll kill us. And Joshua and Caleb say, no, we can do this. I know we're just a bunch of farmers that used to be slaves, and we've been wandering in the wilderness, but God is on our side. He says we're going to win. Let's go. That's faith. They had that gift of faith. And that's why they ended up conquering the promised land and not those who didn't. I think Paul had that gift, by the way. No one can live the kind of life that Paul lived unless they have an exceptional amount of faith. I think, I think the first two or three of Paul's greatest challenges would have, would have cured me. I don't have that kind of faith yet. I'd, I'd love to. But the first time they had to let me down from the wall of Damascus in a basket, I would have said, maybe I'm not called to preach after all. Paul had faith. Healing. Okay. Obviously, we know what healing is. 
It's not just praying for someone to get well. It's In the Scriptures, it's someone who has the power to lay hands on someone else and they are made well. The crippled walk again. The, the blind see. The deaf hear. Epileptic people no longer suffer seizures. People who are demon-possessed, the demons are cast out. That's the miracle. That's the gift of healing. And we see that in the Gospels and in Acts. And then miracles. What's the difference between healing and miracles? A miracle is just generally any action that defies a natural explanation. It is not a miracle when you go to the mall at Christmas time and there's a parking place in the front row. That's a good thing. You should thank God for it, but it's not a miracle. A miracle is something that no one can explain apart from God. It's when your doctor says, I don't know, last time you came in here, you were full of cancer and now there's nothing. Now you're fine. That's, that's a miracle. It's, it's, it's you know, Jesus saying, peace be still, and the storm immediately stopping. It didn't dwindle down. It just immediately stopped. And immediately the sea was like glass. That's a miracle. And then there's prophecy. Now, my, my friend all these years ago who said he had the gift of prophecy was right in the sense that a lot of people think that prophecy is foretelling, you know, almost being a tarot card reader or a fortune teller. But that's not what prophecy is in Scripture. Yes, there were times when prophets like Isaiah and Daniel and Jeremiah looked ahead into the future, but what they mostly did was give messages to God's people that they needed to hear. So Isaiah says to Ahaz, the king of Israel, or king of Judah, don't give your money to those foreign kings to come defend you. All you need is God to defend you. And then later he says to Hezekiah, I know Assyria is surrounding you, but you're going to get out of this. God's going to take care of you. That's prophecy. Listen to me and do what I say and you'll be on the right path because this is a message straight from God to you. That's prophecy. So a prophet would be someone who carries a special message from God that people need to hear. And then discernment. Discernment is sort of the flip side of prophecy. It's the, 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 the ability to discern whether a prophet is telling the truth or not. Whether a teacher is really preaching the true Word of God or not. Is really filled with the Holy Spirit or not. A person with discernment is able to stand up in a church and say, we, we shouldn't listen to this man anymore. He's leading us astray. And that's a very valuable gift. Think about how often in the Scriptures we're told to watch out for false teaching. That's the... That's the gift of discernment. And then there's tongues. We're going to spend a, a lot of time talking about this when we get to chapter 14, because that's what chapter 14 is about. But here's the brief version, in case you don't come back. So the first time we see tongues being used, tongues just means languages, is in Acts 2. That's the day of Pentecost. Holy Spirit falls like tongues of fire. The disciples go out. Streets swollen with pilgrims for the Pentecost festival. They start preaching in languages they haven't learned. Are these human languages? Yes, they were. Because the people on the streets heard them and said, hey, I'm from Syria, or I'm from Greece, or I'm from Egypt. This guy's speaking my language. How is that possible? He's a dumb Galilean. How did he learn my language? And people got converted. That's the first example of speaking in tongues. But then... When we get to chapter 14, which we will in a few weeks, Paul talks about it in terms of not learned languages, but not human languages, but heavenly language. A language that no one can understand except God and people who are gifted to understand it. 
So that's a point of controversy, and we'll talk about this in more, a lot more detail when we get to chapter 14, but like our Pentecostal brothers will say, gift of tongues is completely heavenly language. It's you communicating with God in the, in the tongues of angels. And then others will say, no, 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 it's got to be an actual human language. Otherwise, it's just gobbledygook. Well, we'll talk about that later. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, kind of implies it could be both. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am nothing. Again, we'll get to it later. But at the very least, the gift of tongues would be an ability to speak a language that you didn't sit down and learn, given by God. And we'll talk more about what, what its purpose is when we get to that. And then there's the gift of interpretation, and that's the ability to interpret the words that someone speaks when they're speaking in tongues. By the way, quick note, I may be wrong about this, but I think 1 and 2 Corinthians are the only letters where Paul even talks about speaking in tongues. He wrote a lot of letters. And, and that just indicates two things. Number one, this is not an issue that's core to our faith. Shouldn't get hung up on it. Number two, it must have been a big issue in the Corinthian church because he had to address it. So, there is a te- so let me let me uh, let me just give you the two opposite ends of the spectrum on this issue. On the one hand, there are people who we would call I don't know if they call themselves this, but the term is cessationists from the from to cease. Right? There are people who believe that once the Bible was finished being written, so the end of the apostolic age, gifts like miracles, healing, tongues, interpretation, those all ceased and will never be seen again. They were just for the biblical age. On the other end of the spectrum would be your more radical Pentecostal charismatic believers who would say every Christian should be able to speak in tongues. Every Christian should be seeing miracles all the time. If we're really following Jesus, we ought to be able to tread on snakes and drink poison. We should be able to you know, lay hands on a sick person and them get well. So those are the two opposite ends of the spectrum within the church. And in the middle, there's a whole lot of us who are trying to figure out what's really true. And we'll talk about it more, especially when we get to chapter 14. But let me bring you back to Paul's initial point in chapter 12. It wasn't for us to get into those deep weeds. It was to say, whatever gift you have, it's the same Spirit who gave it to you. Whatever gift has come forth in you, you have the same Holy Spirit in you as Billy Graham had, as uh, you know, name your famous preacher today or, or gifted person. Same Holy Spirit. You're just as spiritual as they are. So these gifts are not meant to tear us apart the way they often did. They're meant to draw us together. They are meant for the common good. If everyone in a church is respectful of one another's gifts and using his or her own gifts, then that is the way the church is meant to function. So final question, then I'm done. How do you find your gift or gifts? No one says you only have one. When I first started studying all this, I read lots of different tests you could take. And I've been in churches that handed out tests. I've handed out spiritual gift tests. I'm I'm sure some of you have probably taken one or two. And those are fine, they're fun to use, but they are a human instrument, okay? They're like those little quizzes and magazines. What kind of man should I date? You know, that kind of stuff. It's, it's just, it's, it's the biblical version of pop psychology. 
There's nothing wrong with it. It's not harmful. But I don't believe that's really how you discover your spiritual gift. In my opinion, as Paul would say, and I too have the Spirit of Christ, in my opinion, the way you find your gift is by serving. You really want to know how God has gifted you and what He's called you to do? Then volunteer whenever there's a need. We need people to volunteer for VBS. I'll be there. Oh, this week we're picking up trash on the side of the road. I'm, I'm going to be there. Oh, well, this week we're, we're helping the homeless. Well, tell me what time. You serve until you find something that, number one, you're good at. Number two, blesses others. And number three, feels like something you were born to do. Because I've seen people, and I've seen it in my own life, when you find what God has called you to do, you do it even if it was illegal. It, it, it becomes something you enjoy. It's not work anymore. It's something you love. So when you find that thing that you enjoy, that you're good at, and you can tell it blesses others, then you found your gift. And that doesn't mean you don't still volunteer in those other ways. It just means make sure you find a way to use that gift you've been given. Because otherwise, you're depriving yourself and us. Thank you all for being here. I'm going to close this in prayer and uh, hope you all have a wonderful week. Heavenly Father, it's more than enough that you sent your son to die for us and redeem us. And if you just, that's all you did and just let us wait here on earth until you return, then we would have nothing but praise for you. But Lord, you've gone so much further and you've brought us into your redemption plan and gifted us and called us, each one of us, to serve you in some special way. And Lord, there's all kinds of ways people serve and we see it and we rejoice. So I pray, Lord, that we would be a church that nurtures that and that equips people to use their gifts for your glory. For it's in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.